section eighteen of a history of our own times volume one by justin mccarthy this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter eight the opium war part two our representatives were generally disposed to be unyielding and not only that but to see deliberate offence in every chinese usage or ceremony which the authorities endeavoured to impose on them on the other hand it was clear that the chinese authorities thoroughly detested them and their mission and all about them and often made or countenanced delays that were unnecessary and interferences which were disagreeable and offensive the chinese believed from the first that the superintendents were there merely to protect the opium trade and to force on china political relations with the west practically this was the effect of their presence the superintendents took no steps to aid the chinese authorities in stopping the hated trade the british traders naturally enough thought that the british government were determined to protect them in carrying it on indeed the superintendents themselves might well have had the same conviction the government at home allowed captain elliot the chief superintendent to make appeal after appeal for instructions without paying the slightest attention to him captain elliot saw that the opium traders were growing more and more reckless and audacious that they were thrusting their trade under the very eyes of the chinese authorities he also saw as everyone on the spot must have seen that the authorities who had been somewhat apathetic for a long time were now at last determined to go any length to put down the traffic at length the english government announced to captain elliot the decision which they ought to have made known months not to say years before that her majesty's government could not interfere for the purpose of enabling british subjects to violate the laws of the country with which they trade and that any loss therefore which such persons may suffer in consequence of the more effectual execution of the chinese laws on this subject must be borne by the parties who have brought that loss on themselves by their own acts this very wise and proper resolve came however too late the british traders had been allowed to go on for a long time under the full conviction that the protection of the english government was behind them and wholly at their service captain elliot himself seems to have now believed that the announcement of his superiors was but a graceful diplomatic figure of speech when the chinese authorities actually proceeded to insist on the forfeiture of an immense quantity of the opium in the hand of british traders and took other harsh but certainly not unnatural measures to extinguish the traffic captain elliot sent to the governor of india a request for as many ships of war as could be spared for the protection of the life and property of englishmen in china before long british ships arrived and the two countries were at war it is not necessary to describe the successive steps by which the war came on it was inevitable from the moment that the english superintendent identified himself with the protection of the opium trade the english believed that the chinese authorities were determined on war and only waiting for a convenient moment to make a treacherous beginning the chinese were convinced that from the first we had meant nothing but war such a condition of feeling on both sides would probably have made war unavoidable 
even in the case of two nations who had far much better ways of understanding each other than the english and chinese it is not surprising if the english people at home knew little of the original causes of the controversy all that presented itself to their mind was the fact that englishmen were in danger in a foreign country that they were harshly treated and recklessly imprisoned that their lives were in jeopardy and that the flag of england was insulted there was a general notion too that the chinese were a barbarous and a ridiculous people who had no alphabet and thought themselves much better than any other people even the english and that on the whole it would be a good thing to take the conceit out of them those who remember what the common feeling of ordinary society was at the time will admit that it did not reach a much loftier level than this the matter was however taken up more seriously in parliament the policy of the government was challenged in the house of commons but with results of more importance to the existing composition of the english cabinet than to the relations between this country and china sir james graham moved a resolution condemning the policy of ministers for having by its uncertainty and other errors brought about the war which however he did not then think it possible to avoid a debate which continued for three days took place it was marked by the same curious mixture of parties which we have seen in debates on china questions in days nearer to the present the defence of the government was opened by mr macaulay who had been elected for edinburgh and appointed secretary at war the defence consisted chiefly in the argument that we could not have put the trade in opium down no matter how earnest we had been in that it was not necessary or possible to keep on issuing frequent instructions to agents so far away as our representatives in china mr macaulay actually drew from our experience in india an argument in support of his position we cannot govern india from london he insisted we must for the most part govern india in india one can imagine how macaulay would in one of his essays have torn into pieces such an argument coming from any advocate of a policy opposed to his own the reply indeed is almost too obvious to need any exposition in india the complete materials of administration were in existence there was a governor-general there were councillors there was an army the men best qualified to rule the country were there provided with all the appliances and forces of rule in china we had an agent with a vague and anomalous office dropped down in the middle of a hostile people possessed neither of recognized authority nor of power to enforce its recognition it was probably true enough that we could not have put down the opium trade that even with all the assistance of the chinese government we could have done no more than to drive it from one port in order to see it make its appearance at another but what we ought to have done is therefore only the more clear we ought to have announced from the first and in the firmest tone that we would have nothing to do with the trade that we would not protect it and we ought to have held to this determination as it was we allowed our traders to remain under the impression that we were willing to support them until it was too late to undeceive them with any profit to their safety or our credit the chinese authorities acted after a while with a high-handed disregard of fairness and of anything like what we should call the responsibility of law but it is evident that they believed they were themselves the objects of lawless intrusion and enterprise 
there were on the part of the government great efforts made to represent the motion as an attempt to prevent the ministry from exacting satisfaction from the chinese government and from protecting the lives and interests of englishmen in china but it is unfortunately only too often the duty of statesmen to recognize the necessity of carrying on a war even while they are of opinion that they whose mismanagement brought about the war deserve condemnation when englishmen are being imprisoned and murdered the innocent just as well as the guilty in a foreign country when in short war is actually going on it is not possible for english statesmen in opposition to say we will not allow england to strike a blow in defence of our fellow-countrymen and our flag because we are of opinion that better judgment on the part of our government would have spared us the beginning of such a war there was really no inconsistency in recognising the necessity of carrying on the war and at the same time censuring the ministry who had allowed the necessity to be forced upon us sir robert peel quoted with great effect during the debate the example of fox who declared his readiness to give every help to the prosecution of a war which the very same day he proposed to censure the ministry for having brought upon the country with all their efforts the ministers were only able to command a majority of nine votes as the result of the three days debate the war however went on it was easy work enough so far as england was concerned it was on our side nothing but a succession of cheap victories the chinese fought very bravely in a great many instances and they showed still more often a spartan-like resolve not to survive defeat when one of the chinese cities was taken by sir hugh gough the tartar general went into his house as soon as he saw that all was lost made his servants set fire to the building and calmly sat in his chair until he was burned to death one of the english officers writes of the same attack that it was impossible to compute the loss of the chinese for when they found they could stand no longer against us they cut the throats of their wives and children or drove them into wells or ponds and then destroyed themselves in many houses there were found from eight to twelve dead bodies and i myself saw a dozen women and children drowning themselves in a small pond the day after the fight we quickly captured the island of chusan on the east coast of china a part of our squadron went up the peiho river to threaten the capital negotiations were opened and the preliminaries of a treaty were made out to which however neither the english government nor the chinese would agree and the war was reopened chusan was again taken by us ningpo a large city a few miles in on the mainland fell into our hands amoy further south was captured our troops were before nankin when the chinese government at last saw how futile was the idea of resisting our arms their women or their children might just as well have attempted to encounter our soldiers with all the bravery which the chinese often displayed there was something pitiful pathetic ludicrous in the simple and childlike attempts which they made to carry on war against us they made peace at last on any terms we chose to ask we asked in the first instance the cession in perpetuity to us of the island of hong kong of course we got it then we asked that five ports canton amoy fu chow fu ningpo and shanghai should be thrown open to british traders and that consuls should be established there needless to say that this too was conceded 
then it was agreed that the indemnity already mentioned should be paid by the chinese government some four millions and a half sterling in addition to one million and a quarter as compensation for the destroyed opium it was also stipulated that correspondence between officials of the two governments was henceforth to be carried on upon equal terms the war was over for the present and the thanks of both houses of parliament were voted to the fleet and army engaged in the operations the duke of wellington moved the vote of thanks in the house of lords he could hardly help one would think forming in his mind as he spoke an occasional contrast between the services which he asked the house to honour and the sort of warfare which it had been his glorious duty to engage in so long the duke of wellington was a simple-minded man with little sense of humour he did not probably perceive himself the irony that others might have seen in the fact that the conqueror of napoleon the victor in years of warfare against soldiers unsurpassed in history should have had to move a vote of thanks to the fleet and army which triumphed over the unarmed helpless childlike chinese the whole chapter of history ended not inappropriately perhaps with a rather pitiful dispute between the english government and the english traders about the amount of compensation to which the latter laid claim for their destroyed opium the government were in something of a difficulty for they had formally announced that they were resolved to let the traders abide by any loss which their violation of the laws of china might bring upon them but on the other hand they had identified themselves by the war with the cause of the traders and one of the conditions of peace had been the compensation for the opium the traders insisted that the amount given for this purpose by the chinese government did not nearly meet their losses the english government on the other hand would not admit that they were bound in any way further to make good the losses of the merchants the traders demanded to be compensated according to the price of opium at the time the seizure was made a demand which if we admit any claim at all seems only fair and reasonable the government had clearly undertaken their cause in the end and was hardly in a position either logical or dignified when they afterwards chose to say yes we admit that we did undertake to get you redress but we do not think now that we are bound to give you full redress at last the matter was compromised the merchants had to take what they could get something considerably below their demand and give in return to the government an immediate acquittance in full it is hard to get up any feeling of sympathy with the traders who lost on such a speculation it is hard to feel any regret even if the government which had done so much for them in the war treated them so shabbily when the war was over but that they were treated shabbily in the final settlement seems to us to allow of no doubt the chinese war then was over for the time but as the children say that snow brings more snow so did that war with china bring other wars to follow it End of section eighteen